With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, baby. <laughs> Back at it again. NFL Draft Bible Radio. It's our podcast show. Bigger, better. Coming down the stretch. Woo! I think we're just under four weeks away from the 2018 NFL Draft Destination Dallas, where we'll be on location bringing you exclusive draft coverage, and uh, today we've got a good one for you lined up. We've got all the latest draft buzz, all the latest developments happening in the NFL. We might talk a little, uh, oh, defensive line preview going on with our um, co-host, Justin Gamble, Joe Everett, who are going to join us in just a second. We'll have some edge-rushing prospects on the dial. Um, Of course, NFLDraftBible.com right now is your home for exclusive NFL Draft Scouting Reports. Uh, We have our QB series going on with uh, QB coach and and current head coach down at the Spring League, uh, Steve Fairchild, the former Colorado State head coach, of course, longtime NFL offensive coordinator, uh, Rams, Bills, Chargers. He's basically been in football the last 40 years, but he's doing a great breakdown on all the top quarterback prospects in this year's draft. Uh, so he, he's broken down Lamar Jackson, which you'll find up there on the website right now. I'm actually going to post um, Baker Mayfield next, which is his fifth-ranked QB. You might be a little bit surprised to find out who he has ahead of Baker Mayfield, so stay tuned for that on the NFLDraftBible.com. Of course, follow us on the Twitterverse handle, at NFL Draft Bible. We're bringing you all the small school names, uh, pro day circuits going on across the country. Uh, Chris Shanafelt, our guy at Chris Shanafelt, has been doing a good job uh, reporting some pro day numbers as well. And, of course, we just unveiled the NFL Draft Bible all underrated team. Very interesting names on there. Uh, You want to find out who some – Day three guys, some undrafted free agents that are going to make NFL rosters, guys who may not have been invited to the NFL scouting combine who, hey, I'll put my name on it. Half the guys on the undrafted or underrated team will be undrafted and make an NFL roster. I'll put my name on that stamp of approval. Um, Guys like Vincent Smith of Limestone College uh, that we've been, you know, tooting his horn all season long. You got haters on on, uh, social media, guys, like uh, Angry Scout. Or, no, I'm sorry, Angry Scout, too. He's not even original. He's the second of them. Wants to call us out as fake news. Man, I never knew what a troll was. Now I understand. Someone had to point it out. Our super producer, Sammy C., now has officially explained to me what a troll is. So, you know, we got to do our damage control and call clowns out like that. Uh, the Dave Schumans of the world who steal our content on NFLDraftBible.com. The chat sports of the world who are just complete scam artists and download our videos and then upload them to their YouTube channel and claim them off as ours. But at the end of the day, all we can do is, is you know, expose these guys, make them aware, and uh, just really, you know, 
damage their names because at the end of the day, you're only as good as your reputation, and that's what we pride ourselves here at the NFL Draft Bible. We don't do nobody wrong, and uh, we're going to call you out if you do us wrong. That's just the way – name of the game, unfortunately, I have to waste your time, waste my breath, but you know what? If nobody tells you about it, then you just won't know. Um, also, we have uh, updated player rankings officially – at each position, brand spanking new. So log on, NFLDraftBible.com. In the slideshow, you'll get all those features I just mentioned to you now. Let's meet the stars of the show. First up, uh, we've got Joe Everett, Director of College Football Scouting on the Pressure Sports Hotline. Joe, man, hey, ain't too much been going on. How goes it? Oh, it's been going great. I can't believe we're 28 days away. I'm pretty fired up for this draft. Uh you know, got the got the free agent buzz happening too. I can't believe when Dominican Sue's a Ram. I mean, it's uh, it's starting to really take shape this whole 2019 season. Man, the Rams are being as aggressive as anybody, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. They're, now, word is they might get OBJ to add to the mix, and man, they're gonna have uh, <laughs> Coach McVay over there is gonna have quite a handful of personalities to deal with in that locker room. Of course, uh, Joe never leaves a stone unturned. You can follow him on Twitter, at Joe W. Everett. And our co-director of college football scouting, Justin Gamble, is in the building. Joe, of course, in Indianapolis. Justin out in Colorado in the Denver area there. Justin, a lot of moving and shaking here. You ready to rock with this? Listening to my Jersey guy call everybody out and let them know what's up. I'm fired up, buddy. I'm good to go. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta let them know. Gotta let them know. (laughs) That's my guy. (laughs) Yeah, baby. And, of course, Justin always dropping the hammer on him over at Twitter. Follow him at GamScout. So, uh, gentlemen, we're going to talk some defensive line. We're going to talk some edge rushers. But, you know, since we brought up a little bit of this hot stove action, this NFL offseason, what an offseason it is, Uh, quite hectic, quite frankly. You know, the one thing here in New Jersey that there's mixed signals, and, you know, there's mixed signals between the beat reporters. There's mixed signals between the national media on NFL Network and ESPN. No one seems to really know. Joe, I'll start it off with you. The Giants' intentions – some some people believe, hey, they're gonna they're gonna ride, they're gonna reload with Eli Manning and work out a deal with Odell Beckham and draft Saquon Barkley and pair him with Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard and make a run here. Other people are saying, you know what, this is a complete teardown. We're gonna rebuild the organization at number two. You have to get the next quarterback. We're gonna build the franchise, get rid of Odell Beckham. Maybe they trade with the Bills, pick up two more first-round picks, add three blue chippers in the first round. Do we really know? I mean, number two is such the ultimate mystery as it currently stands in that NFL draft. Do we really know what the G-Men are all about? I'd like to say I did. I mean, I'm of the opinion they're still reloading, not rebuilding. This team isn't that far off. What are we, two years away from – uh, almost making the NFC Championship there. I mean, there's some real blue chippers on this team still. Landon Collins, you add Alec Ogletree to that mix. I don't think, I don't think they've had speed at the linebacker position like that in years. So I, I think this whole defense changed a little bit. So what? You lose JPP. I mean, he's about three digits short of a club, anyways. Olivia Vernon didn't plan well. What if they? What if they go ahead and take Chubb? 
that would just solidify that D-line. Or if they even go ahead and draft Rosen and just don't miss out on the franchise quarterback and go on about your business and keep winning games, you're never going to be picking this high ever again. I think uh, – yeah, it, it's. Uh, I don't look at them as a rebuild. I think this team's still quality. Uh, they keep Odell Beckham, and they can do whatever they want with two. Um, I just, I'll tell you, the one thing I'm starting to think about it, too, uh, with them and them making that quote about, oh, we really like the Packers and the way they develop their quarterbacks with Favre Rodgers and all that, that makes me think they're going QB. And then look at next year's QB class. What are you going to take, Drew Locke, Will Greer, uh, Jared Stidham, the Jake KJ Costello, maybe. I mean, there's not that guy shaping up towards 2019. So I think, I think that kind of forces their hand. I mean, this is such a good class. Uh, they're a type of franchise that it's, you know, we build with from within, or we take the franchise passer. All the other positions, we just throw them to the fire. I mean, we want D line, we want O line, and then we want a talented quarterback, franchise passer. So I, I think. Uh, I think they gotta go Rosen just because of like the scarcity of great QBs like him. I mean, a guy like that dangled in your face, boy, it'd be a shame to pass on that. Very interesting. You know, new GM David Gettleman also said that he envisions the second pick. You want to envision that player wearing a gold jacket someday. And you know, to me, those comments tell me Quentin Nelson or Saquon Barkley. But then, you know, if they do trade OBJ, to me it is a teardown. It is a rebuild. And then I think you do have to go and get that quarterback. And I never thought they would there at number two. But a couple interesting points to follow up on there. Justin, first off, new coaches, I mean, defensive coordinator at James Betcher bringing, bringing in that 34 defense. So they traded away JPP. doesn't quite fit that defensive scheme they're transitioning to. I'm not sure – if Bradley Chubb can play outside linebacker at the next level. And I know, you know, again, it's just the, the offbeat different pulse of the team between the beat writers and the national reporters and everybody reporting on something different. But if they are converting over to 34, I mean, does Chubb really feel fit? And, you know, to me, again, I didn't think they were going to go quarterback, but if this is a teardown, you're going to get out, get rid of JPP. You're going to, you know, get rid of OBJ, then maybe you do draft a quarterback at number two. How do you see this situation unfolding, Justin? Well, I wrote down in my notes, I think you said it already earlier, I wrote down tons of mixed signals because, well, let's, let's talk about Bradley Chubb first. I don't know if he doesn't fit a 34 defense, but I don't think it's his best fit. You know what I mean? It's kind of like when the Texans drafted Clowney um, and they were in their 3-4. It's like, you know, you're you're moving this guy to a spot where, He's not – he's kind of surviving, but he's not thriving. Like, he can do it, but it's not his best spot. So, I don't think that's great for Chubb if they, if they went that direction. I don't think it's his best spot. And it's almost wasting that number two pick, and you're kind of forcing a square peg into a round hole. It kind of sucks. But can it be done? Sure. Um, and then when you look at the whole rebuilding versus reloading situation, it's really weird because if you're going to trade Odell and commit to this rebuild – why wouldn't you have dealt Eli? Why wouldn't you have done something with Eli and then taken Rosen at number two and commit to the rookie, which you know Rosen is ready. So you know that you throw him in there. He's not, being, he's not that guy that's clueless being thrown to the wolves. He can, he can win, and he can handle the NFL playbook and the speed of the game. That's not an issue. So if you're going to trade Odell, why not get, do something with Eli? Why not get picks, get new players, get a new quarterback, commit to the whole rebuild? But now it kind of feels like, 
they're wasting opportunities to really get as much as they could have because, you know, Eli, he might have a couple years left, but if you're going to rebuild around Eli, is it a one-year rebuild? Are you going to win next year? It just, it feels like, I mean, I can see why the New York media is kind of baffled in writing a new story each day because from the outside looking in, from my perspective, I have no idea what they're doing. It doesn't really make sense. Um, I think I'm, I'm of the philosophy, if you're going to do one thing, commit to that 100% and do it. But right now, it's like, are you know, if, if I'm keeping Eli, it makes me feel like I'm in win-now mode. But it, that doesn't appear to be what they're doing, shopping Odell Beckham. Yeah, it's like every day, you know, they're trying to figure it out themselves. And even the signing of Jonathan Stewart, a lot of people questioning exactly how he fits into Coach Shermer's offense, not exactly. And that's a win now. I mean, yeah, and you say mm-hmm. a veteran like Jonathan Stewart who only has a, a year or two left on his legs, that's a win now move. Like, you don't sign a guy, a running back with that much tread on his tires or with that little tread on his tires and say, you know, this is a rebuild move. What That doesn't make any sense, and that's why now they're shopping Odell for picks possibly, where these things just all go against each other, so – I, and then I'm, today, I'm I mean, I hate to even throw another monkey wrench into it, but Brandon Marshall spoke at uh, Rutgers University yesterday, and there was talk that, you know, they're going to bring back Brandon Marshall now next year. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's just really hmm. up in the air with the G-men. And, you know, I don't think you can rule anybody out at this point. And, you know, the one thing Gettleman did say, too, is, like, I don't understand how teams have their draft board set. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be setting ours. And I thought it was interesting, too. Adam Schefter had a great podcast with some interviews at the owners' meetings, and he spoke to Hugh Jackson. And he's like, you know, Hugh is like, yeah, you know, hey, the way we do things around here, I wouldn't be surprised if we figure it out come draft day. And he even made a comment, <laughs> like, you know, he even made a comment to the effect that, you know, John Dorsey, like, lets him know, like, hey, there's going to be times where I just go dark where it sounds like, you know, Dorsey won't even return his phone calls or talk to him for a couple of days. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really interesting stuff. Um, but, yeah, check that out. Adam Schefter has a podcast, I think, on ESPN with a couple of really good interviews. He also had John Elway on that podcast and kind of picked his brain about what Denver will do at the quarterback position. And you know what? To Elway's credit, you know, he, he did not um, – Confirm or deny, he said, you know, that's something that's going to be dealt with on the fly, and we'll take a look at, I think, number six, they're picking five or six. So when we get there, we'll we'll analyze that and see what the best route is. So he also um, did not rule that out and said, you know, it's going to come down to just uh, the day before the draft until they really have an idea what direction they're going to go. So, you know, while we're still trying to all figure it out, so are the NFL teams inside the war rooms. And, um, you know, the other development, I don't want to beat a dead horse. It's been all over the media, guys. But Steve Fairchild, who was doing a QB uh, preview series, a six-part series on the top six quarterbacks on the draft, um, you know, if you're craving some, you know, Gruden QB camp, this is pretty much the same thing but written format. But, you know, Steve is down at the Spring League working with Johnny Manziel, uh, we saw him at two pro days this past week, San Diego, 13 teams in attendance. Of course, Texas A&M, all 32. 
meeting with several teams, most notably the Patriots before and after the workout at Texas A&M. Justin, I'll start this one off with you. Say you're a John Elway or a New England where Robert Kraft said this morning we need to obviously draft a quarterback of the future soon. Uh, maybe if you didn't force Billy Belichick there to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, you wouldn't be in that situation. But let's just say you're the Patriots or you're the Broncos or you're the Cardinals and you miss out on what everybody's calling the big four, let's just say. Uh, we'll throw Lamar Jackson in there too. You miss out on those five quarterbacks. Justin, do you bring in Johnny Football, let him compete for a roster spot? Is this a game of charades? Is he just trying to pull the wool over our eyes? Or have you truly seen some change in his demeanor, his attitude, his perspective? Your take on Johnny Football. I don't think he's foolish enough to just go through all this trouble and put in all this work and campaign like this only to still be the same guy that he was before, which is just kind of a jackass who is, you know, entitled and overprivileged and comes in and makes a mockery of everything. Um, I, I haven't met him. I haven't talked to him, you know, recently or anything, but I truly believe, and I'm sure these, you know, the coaches and GMs and everything have met him, but from the outside looking in, it looks like he's a guy who's committed to football right now. It looks like he's serious about this comeback. Um, I was never a Johnny fan coming out of Texas A&M. I just felt like his, mechanics his delivery he was sporadic with his mental processing the way that he threw the ball kind of affected his own velocity and placement and all that but then he came to the Browns and even then he started working on his um, kind of all the physical things that go into the quarterback position and you could tell he'd really improved his accuracy and his arm strength Um, and then now looking at him you know I would say you know it depends on the price tag what do I but all you really have to do now is just invite him to a, you know, a camp and let him compete. And I think that's kind of, you're not paying anything for him. So what's the hurt? I, if, if this guy can come in and just be a backup for a bit even, and then maybe develop in a year or two, because he's going to have to re, you know, reacquaint himself with NFL defenses and the playbooks and the speed of the game. And I think that's all going to take a while, but, I would certainly let the kid come in and compete because we know he's got some physical ability. We know he's committed right now and he's older. He's wiser. He's seen these things before he's been here. He's been through the ringer. Um, You know, he had his shot and then he got booted out and you know, that, that motivates someone and it looks like he's motivated to come back. So I really just don't see the hurt or the, you know, the, even the risk of letting a guy like that come in and compete because if anything, he can share, some thoughts and give some advice from some of the younger guys that may be struggling with the same things he went through. So if I'm Elway, especially bring the kid in, he can't be any worse than Paxton Lynch's. Yeah. I mean, and uh, Justin makes some good points and, you know, listen, Joe, uh, Wayne Gabbert, I believe got signed yesterday. Uh, teams are handing out uh, a few million dollars a year to bring in Drew Stanton to be a number three QB. What was your take on Johnny football throughout the week? Is this uh, a masquerade? Is it is it serious? Is it something that, you know, even like the Chargers and, and Saints, you know, you get them with a QB whisperer like Sean Payton, can he learn from a guy like being around the Drew Brees or Phillip Rivers, your take on Johnny football? Yeah, why not at this point? I wouldn't mind it if I was, like Justin said, the Broncos, let's have them. I mean, he cannot be worse than Lynch or Simeon, for that matter. I mean, it, it, and I think he has turned that leaf. This is actually a long part of a comeback. Uh, 
this last summer he was at this uh, convention uh, speaking as like the guest celebrity and he was all about the comeback then. So it's, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, just encouraging to see that he's kind of on the path here uh, that, that for a long time, an extended period that, which tells me he is serious about it. And at this point, he's got to go all out. Uh, like he said, it's the last of second chances that he's, he's, he's got here. I think Broncos are fit. What about the Buffalo bills in that offense? Uh, him as a backup, I think, and also cities to where he'd be. Denver wouldn't be bad. Buffalo, Orchard Park there, maybe Arizona out in Glendale uh, with that team, strong locker rooms. Those would be, I think, the ideal fits. The wild card really would have to be Miami. I mean, boy, you don't want to put Johnny football in <laughs> Miami Beach, but uh, behind <laughs> Tannehill, they need – they need someone right. behind Tannehill. They need an athletic passer. Things are changing Without on that offensive case. line, so they, they want a creator, sure. man. I, I think uh, uh, there's a lot of fits, and, yeah, at this point, why not, man? I don't think it's much of a roll of the dice, and what kind of uh, contract are you paying them? It's got to be low risk uh, at this juncture. Yeah, I mean, and listen, he even went to the extent that if something doesn't work out, then, hey, he, he's going to, you know, Go go up north and play in Canada, and uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats still own his rights. And so, you know, if, if something doesn't develop or evolve from the spring league, you could see Johnny Football playing up north this season. So it'll be interesting to keep some tabs on that, but a little off-season chatter, how it impacts the draft. Wanted to get that in because uh, everybody's been talking about it. Now you got our two cents on it, and uh, we're going to transition into the positional preview brought to you by our good friends at Pressure Sportswear, PressureSportswear.com. Uh, check out, I'll be unveiling some positional preview videos that I did on Mark Rogers TV and uh, Pressure Sports providing the apparel for, for those segments. So we're excited to have them on board and uh, definitely looking forward to some of the new gear coming in from PressureSports.com. So, gentlemen, uh, we'll take it into two parts. We will lump together the defensive tackles and the three, four defensive ends. Well, that'll be one group. And then we will next discuss the edge rushers, um, some of those four, three pass rushers and some of those 34 edge rushers that, you know, make their living on the edge. Now, uh, Justin, let's start off with you in terms of, you know, 34 defensive ends. I don't know if there's really any true uh, blue chip, franchise type of players. Rasheem Green from USC is a guy that's kind of uh, rose up draft boards after the combine performance. Uh, you want to put Deshaun Hand from Alabama as a defensive end, I could see that fit there. Uh, RJ McIntosh from Miami, maybe a day two guy that could, you know, become a starter at the next level. But in terms of first round talents, I'm not sure I see any there. Uh, from a 3-4 defensive end perspective. But uh, defensive tackles, there's plenty of them. So uh, let's let's take a look at the top of your board when it comes to the defensive line. How do you kind of see the, the top of the order shaking out? I think it really depends on your scheme and what you're looking for. Because there's some guys that have similar grades from me, but they're just drastically different guys. Like Taven Bryan and Vita Vea. I mean, Vita Vea is the prototype, you know, 34 nose tackle. He's tall. He's got the arm length. Um, he's got the brute strength. I mean, he can dominate double teams and extend and see over the line and still make plays on the ball. I mean, that's what you look for in a 3-4, you 
nose tackle. You don't you don't want a short guy who you know will never find the ball carrier and everything, and, and it can't make plays. So Vita Vea is one of the top prospects I think I've ever seen on the D line, just in the fact that there, he's such a physical specimen um, with such huge upside that I think he's gonna end up going high. He he had some. I don't know. I don't want to say effort issues, but there were times where he looked a little lackadaisical or just looked kind of like he took, he just disappeared from some games, but his physical traits are off the charts. So I think 34 teams are going to be looking at this guy. And then you go to Taven Bryan, who's six five, two ninety five or something like that. And I mean, unbelievable get off. This is one of the elite athletes in the entire draft at any position, the bend and ability that he, the loose, the looseness that he has in, throughout his entire upper and lower body. The, the, everything he can do is, is amazing. Um, you could put him in a 4-3 defense at the three technique. I think he could end up playing, you know, defensive end in the 34, although I don't think that's his best spot. But he's got the height. He's got the length for it. Um, and I think he just needs to, you know, get in an NFL weight room and get his lower body a little stronger. He's kind of thin-hipped, which is the issue. But, again, this guy is ruining games with his ability to shoot up field and get into the backfield. I mean, you can't reach block him. He's a brute strength type of guy. He's got the powerful hands. So, I mean, those two carry similar grades for me, but they're very, very different. And then you got Deron Payne from Alabama, another prototype nose tackle, could probably play in any defensive front. He could be in a three-man or a four-man, but, you know, very, very advanced athlete with advanced technique. Um, coming from that Saban, you know, Saban coach guys always come into the NFL, and they know what they're doing. They're no strangers to the two-gapping. They're no strangers to down blocks. and cut. They, they know how to handle everything. They've seen it all. They've been in the SEC. So I think those are probably my top three, and they're all pretty different guys. But as far as first-rounders go, I think those are the three that will end up in the first round. They're just, they're just different. Um, it just depends on which team falls in love with what guys fit their scheme kind of thing. But Taven Bryan is my favorite because you just don't see athletes like this very often. Yeah, and, you know, a guy that really, I mean, I don't think he was too high up on people's draft boards when the uh, beginning of the season started. So he's kind of uh, really boosted his draft stock uh, um, here since he's declared for the draft. Now, Joe, uh, Michigan defensive tackle Maurice Hurst, a lot of people believe that he is a first-round talent or had him pegged for the first round until that heart condition they discovered at the combine prevented him from working out. Now, uh, he was since cleared. I think he did work out at the Michigan Pro Day. But our man Justin said before, you know, at the defensive tackle position, don't want no short, short man. So, Maurice Hurst, I mean, is size a concern? Is height an issue? Is he a first-round guy? I I think talent-wise, he is a first-rounder. It's just tough to know what's going on with this heart condition. I mean, similar to what, Starlo to Lele, that he couldn't work out in the combine. And I love how it's breaking news that, oh, well, he got cleared for the Michigan Pro Day. The same doctors that cleared him to play his whole career cleared him for a Pro Day. We should not be shocked with that <laughs> one. I think, uh, who's to say? Because on the field, I know what I see. He's a high-energy big man. He causes havoc. Another guy, just like Brian, uh, just like Vea, he's forcing that double team. He's drawing the extra attention, and that still is worth what it is. Um I thought he would have been a high draft pick last year would he have declared, uh, but I think it's just there's some parts of his film he's going hot and cold. 
Like, there's no question the motor of um, that Brian kid, like, that, that, that motor's running full bore all the time, whereas Hurst, it's a little hot and cold if I had a criticism of him, but he's just tough to block. I mean, he's a real penetrator. He gets downhill fast and slashes like a, I don't know, like a poor man sap type of mold. I think that's where he fits is like kind of a three-tech. Uh, he's definitely uh, much more downhill and geared up than like a Vea. I mean, there's just different types of players in my books, but I like I like Hurst. I think uh, he's still got first-round game. It's just what your doctor or what team's doctors are going to think and their evaluation of him medically. But, uh, yeah, not to get down a rabbit hole with Brian. Uh, Justin's been talking him up the whole season. And leading up to this show, I watched some more. And, man, the more I watch this kid, the more I, I really love. It's uh, There's a real get-off from his out of his stance and he's just so violent with his hands that's he's just a freaking fun kid to watch and i i mean hopefully he fits in your scheme for whatever coordinators thinking of drafting him but i almost think just just give me a helmet let me put the kid on my defense because yeah he's he's gonna get carried away and like justin said wreck some shit i mean that's that's what he does and then uh I pain. The only thing I would recommend people just watch that Clemson game again on the ESPN coaches film room session. And I think the quote is repeated. You should play the drinking game with me. They just can't block 94 coach. Every time they say that, take a drink. <laughs> they say it quite frequently. Cause like, it's just, it's a joke, man. No one can touch pain in that game. And uh, really, I think that's why them Clemson linemen, their stocks down. That's probably why, uh, what is it, Hyatt came back. Uh, <laughs> we we need to go retool and uh, get things figured out because pain just, just completely wrecked our game plan. So that's uh, he's my number one. But, man, uh, Taven Bryan, yeah, like you said, Rick, like I don't think people were saying his name too loud now, but now there's a whole camp of dudes that are in the Taven Bryan uh, clan. Oh, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, when I take a look at the defensive tackle position especially, I see incredible depth. Um, you know, I take a look at a guy like Puna Ford who had a great pro day yesterday, not even invited to the combine. I think, you know, he could be the highest non-combine invite selected. And, hey, P.J. Hall from San Jose State, he might give him a run for his money. Too. I mean, that guy's trucking. Uh, I think he ran like a four six forty at 300 pounds. I mean, this guy – is running faster oh, than some of the running backs. So, uh, yeah, P.J. Hall, definitely a guy to, to keep a lookout for. But, Joe, we talk about Bradley Chubb all the time, but these other, you know, NC State has four defensive linemen <laughs> that are probably going to be selected. And B.J. Hill, um, Contavious Street, Justin Jones, I mean, these guys should all be selected at some point come draft weekend, but uh, who are some of the day two, day three talents that you see on your board? The street who you named is, I think, really a vast upside, and that's a guy, in my opinion, has a better chance, to, a, a chance to be a better pro than he was a collegiate player. Just the, what he's developed, the transformation his body's taken, like he is just a, a verified monster at this point. Like body fat, just what he's done to kind of turn himself into the player he is, uh, I think he could play on multiple fronts. But, uh, yeah, where he is, too, he could play a little in. Maybe he's that five-tech and a three-four. Who knows? Uh, the, the tackle, though, that I'm trying to get, if I'm a GM and if someone takes him before me, I would be just pulling hair out as uh, my man, Nathan Shepard from Fort Hays State. And I, I know I'm a broken record. I don't care. Uh, th- th- at the Senior Bowl, this guy was just a man-child. No one could handle him. Uh, it was good battles with him and Isaiah Wynn 
that's the that's probably the one man that like went toe to toe. But in Mobile, until Nate Shepard broke his hand, he was having his way with everybody, and I, I think that's the one. Like he's. I think he's going top 100, and when he goes, that war room, you're going to hear a lot of groans because people are just going to be so pissed they didn't get a chance to get a him. Uh, I mean, he is an older rookie at 26, I think, and oh, I forget the school he was at before Fort Hayes. Um, it's not, I'm digressing, but, I mean, he's just a real nasty out there. He's going to be an active run defender, and with his penetration ability, I mean, just – Brute strength, man. Uh, Nate Shepard, Fort Hayes State's one. I, I, like I said, I, I think he's uh, really turned some heads down there at the Senior Bowl and, and just did uh, just really improved his stock down there. And then, yeah, the other guy, you took P.J. Hall. Uh, there's some red flags, sure, but, man, he gets in the backfield fast. I mean, he just knifes through O-line like butter. It's just so quick how good – uh, how, how fast his first step is. I think uh, that's a guy you just intrigued to see where he finds a home because I, I don't care. He's I think he's getting drafted. I mean, sure, what it, say what you want about the combine. That's uh, Sometimes those teams, they keep players off that list for a reason, and that, I think P.J. Hall might be one of those. <laughs> well, listen, if uh, if Amarty Omar, Bryant can get drafted, then uh, there's no doubt that P.J. Hall is going to be selected. And, you know, listen, Nathan Shepard, you mentioned he's going to be a 26-year-old rookie, D2 school, Canadian-born. I mean, this guy's backstory, there's just – there's a lot there to root for with that young man. And, uh, Justin, I don't know if you have anybody else. I know we didn't get a chance to talk about Andrew Brown from Virginia. Uh, One-time highly – yeah, yeah, take it away, my man. I mean, his thing with me was when you watch his film, they, they misused him at, at uh, Virginia. They asked him to play five technique, you know, too often, and sometimes the four I, I believe. i got to look at my notes, but this guy is good at getting upfield and penetrating. He should be a three technique in the NFL. I think that's his main issue. That's why he'll fall in the draft a little bit is because he's very scheme-specific. But when he's put in the right spot, he's going to be a monster. Um, he's a relentless kind of really almost sporadic athlete, but it works for him. I mean, he finds a way to get to the quarterback, and he's really tough to block just because he's so relentless. I mean, his, his hands are good. He knows, how to, he knows how to fight hand-to-hand combat, you know, in the trenches with limited space. That's his specialty, and we saw it on tape over and over and over. He just makes it work. Um, so put him in the right scheme, and he's going to excel. And then, you know, same state, Tim Settle, uh, Virginia Tech, he kind of scares me just because he's so big um, and he doesn't really carry good weight. He's kind of, he's got a weird body type and he kind of has some balance issues, but for a guy that's like six four, three thirty five, his get off is absolutely insane. Um, he shoots forward like Taven Bryan and Mo Hurst sometimes where you're thinking, all right, he must be like 290 pounds and he's pushing 340. Um, and you can't when a guy is that strong and that big and comes off the ball that fast, it's just impossible to block. I think he can handle two gap responsibilities. He could play five technique. He could also be in four man front and get upfield. You just have to wonder: Is he going to stay at a good weight? Is he going to get himself uh, motivated to stay in shape constantly when you know the checks are rolling in and he's got money and he doesn't really have to worry about you know getting drafted anymore? But talent wise, Tim Settle could have been a first rounder if he just kind of did it longer. And like I said, that body type kind of scares me, but it is what it is. 
Um, last one, R.J. McIntosh from Miami. I know you mentioned him earlier. That's one of the more athletic D linemen in this entire draft. Um, he's a bit raw. He's kind of more athlete than football player right now. But if I'm a D-line coach looking to develop a dude with traits, that's – R.J. McIntosh is someone with a fluid lower body. You see the, the looseness in the ankles and the knees, and he can kind of work his way and bend around some of the down blocks and everything. I mean, big men with th- that kind of fluidity always intrigue me just because you can do so many things with them, and they're so versatile – um, and you can move him around. Uh, I just, I, I wonder where he's going to go because his tape was kind of, like I said, his tape was raw. He felt like an incomplete evaluation, but um, I like him. And then you mentioned Rasheem Green earlier from USC. I think he's another guy that was misused. He was kind of, he was a 3-4-D end. He was used the five technique a lot in uh, at USC. But at 6'4", 275, he's got crazy athleticism. He's got really, really, really long arms, and he's got some shock and power in those arms. I don't think his tape was very good just because at 275 being asked to two-gap and kind of control the point of attack, that's not what he's going to be able to do. It's just it's just not. But moving forward, I think he's an edge guy um, who gives you versatility because he can rush from a lot of different places. And I, When I was at the USC-Colorado game this year in Boulder, one of the scouts next to me actually said that, Rasheem Green is one of the top prospects in this game, regardless of position. And that was kind of intriguing to hear because you don't hear his name a lot. You don't hear him talked about a lot among the top prospects, but some of these scouts were just talking him up. Like you don't see athletes like this with that length and that kind of power too often. So I think, you know, if he stayed in school, he probably would have been a higher pick than he's going to be this year. But moving forward, when you draft a guy with those kind of traits, you're getting a pretty good you know piece of raw clay to work with. So, I, I really like Rasheem Green when I what I've seen on tape. Yeah, he's got the film. He's got the athleticism. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's you know six foot four and a half, two hundred and seventy five pounds, and he's out here running you know four seven forties, jumping thirty two inches uh, vertically, and you know almost a ten foot broad jump. So when you talk about that size, that athleticism, that kind of production. I think he's definitely a top 50 overall selection in this year's draft. And I think we've covered, you know, anybody who's going in the top 100, we've pretty much covered their name. I mean, Deidre Sanat from USF, Joe's talked about him in the past. Uh, Derek Nadi from Florida State, probably uh, a day two possibility as well. Uh, Harrison Phillips. Yeah, Harrison Phillips. We oh, yeah. uh, haven't. I think uh, Joe may have brought him up, maybe not. Um, who else we got here? The, the UConn kid, you know, you want to go day three now. You want to talk about uh, freakish athleticism. The uh, follow Runzo Fatukasi, uh, you know, butchered that name pretty good. But, uh, you know, we got him. You want you want some athleticism from the interior. How about Bruce Hector, uh, another, you know, South Florida kid with 18 career sacks uh, from the inside and, you know, Khalil McKenzie, Hey, shout out to Reggie and Raleigh and, uh, Khalil McKenzie. I tried to sneak him on last, last week's show and got to mention him too. Michael <laughs> Hill was a guy from Ohio state at, at the NFL PA collegiate bowl. I spoke to his agent and, uh, he assures me that, you know, Michael Hill is being drug tested every week. He's been clean, uh, since he's been training and, and, uh, you know, he's a guy that 
you know, could go undrafted and, and find a way making a roster, as as can uh, Sebastian Joseph from Rutgers had a chance to be at the Rutgers Pro Day and uh, another 300-pound guy that was just moving. Um, one last guy, which, you know, he, he's he been on my radar. Um, well, two more guys. I keep scrolling. Well, three more guys. Heck, I keep scrolling. Well, D-Liner from, <laughs> D-liner from uh, Alabama finished up at Arkansas State is a guy to just keep to monitor. Uh, Abdullah Anderson from Bucknell I had a chance to speak with earlier in the year. His interview is up on the website. Kingsley O'Para from Maryland, uh, who was training with the guys at Parabolic Performance. He had the top vertical jump at his pro day yesterday of any D lineman in the draft class, 36 and a half inches, uh, I think 9-10 on the broad, pulled his hammy during his first 40 run. But um, the one guy I didn't really get a chance to monitor this past year, uh, but he, he popped up on our radar a few years back. He's a 400-pound nose tackle, this kid Matt Elam from Kentucky. I mean, you want a guy to just eat some space for you. I mean, this guy's a space eater. Um, you know, an undrafted guy that I, that I'm just curious to see where he goes. And, uh, this Vanderpilt kid, Nife Lielo, uh, showed some flashes at the NFL PA, definitely a developmental prospect, somebody I would stash on my, practice squad and, and try to develop because the size and the skill set is there. So, uh, hey, man, we got you covered front to back, back to front, upside down and inside out. We turn it all about right here on the NFL Draft Bible Podcast Show. That was our defensive tackle preview. We talked uh, D-line uh, all around there. Now we're going to shift over to edge rushers. Um Joe, we'll start it off with you. We'll take those 43 defensive ends, those 34 outside linebackers. Some of these guys have played defensive end. They'll play outside linebacker at the next level. But I think the most intriguing, you know, we talk about Bradley Chubb, Chubb, Chubb is the top guy, probably a top five selection. But who knows if quarterbacks go one, two, and three, uh, somebody's going to get a heck of a good player in Bradley Chubb. But to me, I think, you know, the debate still looms like, hey, do you want the production and the resume of a Harold Landry, or are you willing to roll the dice on the upside of a Marcus Davenport who's done it against inferior competition while Harold Landry has done it against, you know, power five conference type of talent? But, you know, how do you break down this year's edge rushers in the 2018 NFL draft, Joe? Well, I think that 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 uh, debate between those two has to be, uh, you know, who really I, I hate to say it again, who commands those double teams? And you look at Landry, they're throwing doubles at him and scheming him nonstop. Whereas this UTSA footage on Davenport, he's just a guy in that defense. There's not a lot of attention being paid to him. It's just that Landry comes in known. So I think that's what kind of I don't know. I'd, I'd lean maybe Landry, but boy, there's a lot of special that's involved in Davin. Probably the most intriguing guy in this draft class, in my opinion, just because the upside's there. Clearly, it's just he's so raw right now. Um, but he's a unique personality. The length, the range, the basketball background. I think he was a wide receiver recruit at the start of his uh, football thinking here. It's just. Um, yeah, it's just tough. We talk about the guys that are big old lumps of clay. This, that's Davenport. 
uh, it's just you got to be real sure with your plan, your vision for that player. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm taking, I'm happy if I've got Chubb. That's just an all three down Jesse. I mean, technically sound, highly competitive, mean disposition. He just wants to win so bad. But just watch the Florida State game. Uh, he is going all out, hair on fire, uh, fights off blocks, and does such a good stay, uh, j- good job staying clean. Um, one of his just strange things is he's like got this super effective inside move when you watch him. It's like, I don't know if it's a rip or swim, but like somehow he always gets on the inside of a lineman. He's just so good at that. And it's just rare when you see a guy that's like, clearly he has counter moves already. He's got himself a little bit of an arsenal. Uh, he's physical. So yeah, I just, he's, he's the creme de la creme for a reason. And I really do think Bradley Chubbs, he's a special player. So I'm uh, number one for a reason. I'd probably, man, the upside of Davenport has me intrigued. So I'd have him too, but just ahead of guys like, you know, Landry and Sam Hubbard still in that, uh, uh, the conversation, but I think that's where he's kind of struggles watching a lot of Sam recently. There is no counter. There's not a lot of variety. He just kind of bull rushes and gets it done with athleticism, super try hard and a high motor, but it's like, I don't know. I see him as a lesser version of Ryan Kerrigan coming out uh, just because it's like, I don't see, uh, I don't know, a lot of super special in, in Sam Hubbard's game just yet. I mean, maybe it's there, and I am just have not watched the right footage. But, uh, yeah, he kind of leaves you wanting more, if I could say anything about Hubbard. So I think that's the reason, I guess, his stock is not as high and maybe why he's a fringe first-round guy. But then the last guy that Justin brought up, Rasheen Green, man, he's powerful. And I agree, totally playing out of position, but – Another guy, it's yeah, broken record. Here's our NFL Draft Bible drinking game. He will be a better pro than a collegiate player. I think that totally applies to Green. Uh, get him in the right scheme. Get him three-point stance just firing off, and uh, that, that's a guy like, ugh, uh, another. I think just re- tons of potential. What you're going to turn him in is the real question. You just have to have a kind of a plan for that player. But, yeah, those would be my uh, – top five guys at this point. Uh, it's not a bad, like, I, I love how people say, oh, it's just a terrible pass rushing class. I wouldn't call it terrible. It's just, you got to know going in, like, who these guys are going to be, I think is the real uh, question. It always boils down and always will. What system do you want to run and how does this guy fit? And I think there's there's quite a few fits for some of these guys. It's just matching the pieces to the parts. Yeah, you got to figure out how to make it work and you know, the best coaches always adapt their uh, scheme to the players and not the players to the scheme. Uh, Justin, you heard how Joe's top of the board at the edge shakes out. Agree, disagree, your sentiments. I kind of agree. Um, I, I think this class especially is a weird one because you look around at the names and there's so many unknowns. Uh, I think Brad Chubb is definitely the most well-rounded um, prospect of the edge guys, he's got the size, he's got the pedigree, he's strong, he plays the run, he does it all on tape, but I I don't know if he has a ton of upside, I think he's a little maxed out, I don't see a prospect either that fits where I had Bosa, Khalil Mack, Clowney, Garrett, none of those guys, I think he's definitely below those guys, but the fact that he's about the same size puts him above, you know, some of these little speed rushers that we know are kind of more hit or miss, could be bust, could be boom. But, you know, Brad Chubb is a safe pick. And then – but the question I po- I've been kind of wondering lately is, 
is 2016 uh, Harold Landry and 2015 Arden Key were those better prospects than Brad Chubb is right now? Because Arden Key, when he was slimmed down and explosive and fluid and could bend and could, you know, get off the ball, that was the next elite pass rushing prospect. And then you watch 2016 Harold Landry when he was completely healthy, and that dude was terrorizing the ACC. Um, but then, you know, both of them in 2017, they come in. I mean, Arden Key was figuring out his weight, and then he, you know, then he left LSU. Harold Landry was dealing with the shoulder injury and just didn't look like the same player. He didn't look like he had the same get-off. He was just a completely different guy. Um, but when those two are completely healthy, were they better than Chubb? Because I think they had more upside. I think they had some more flash. And I think their trump cards were a little better. Uh, and then you move to the rest of the class, which is more confusing because you got Lorenzo Carter, who posted the most freakish combine I think we've like ever seen. And we see his length and his speed and the agility that he has. I mean, he tested even better than Leonard Floyd did. He made Leonard Floyd's combine look pedestrian. So Carter has this amazing upside where we have to wonder, though, can he ever become an elite edge you know, rusher when we haven't really seen it? And then you go to Dorrance Armstrong from Kansas, who's another guy with the size and the length and the get-off, and he just was misused. He was the 34 defensive end at Kansas, but at 6'5", 250, I don't even know what he is there's some real athleticism. And I mean, we've seen when he's able to pin his ears back, he can make it look pretty effortless. He can get around, he can threaten upfield and then he can bend under the offensive tackle and make it look like freaking Vaughn Miller at A&M. We, he, he's another guy with just traits that you have to wonder how they're going to translate. Um, I know Rick hates me for mentioning Kamoko Toure, but that's another guy. Oh God, here we go. <laughs> yeah, we, but we've seen it the senior and we've seen him at, on tape, and then it, after the at all, you know at all the pro day or at all the all star circuits and everything, he has traits, I and mean, we can't argue that he has traits to work with. So what is he going to do once he hits the NFL? Um, Josh Sweat, he's going to collect combine. a nice paycheck for doing nothing, is what he's going to do. <laughs> yeah, does, but that's the thing is, all these guys, all these guys have have such crazy traits and athleticism, and they have the things you look for, but we don't, we haven't seen it on tape yet, so. I mean, it's weird because Brad Chubb is the safest guy, but he in, in three years, he might not be the best of all these players. We might see three or four guys take him over and kind of reach their potential. So right now, yeah, you got to take the safe pick, but I'm really kind of interested to follow all these guys' careers closely and kind of see where the athleticism meets. You know, do, do they hit their upside? Is this going to be one of those classes we look back and say, wow, like that was one to really study because it really shows us how much upside or how much we have to, you know, kind of look at their potential and what their ceiling could be? Or are we going to look back and say, nah, Brad Chubb was, you know, easily the best choice of all these guys? No, it is, it is going to be a great case study for future drafts. Guys like Davenport and Carter, Carter at 6'5, 250, ran a 4'4'6 at the combine which is just incredible yeah. but uh you know i think you know kamoko Ture, I, th- I thought i caught a, a funny interaction anyway between one of the rutgers beat writers here ryan dunleavy who's now covering the giants for the star ledger and lance zierlein who you all know does the nfl.com prospects and profiles and it's like you know lance is just you know really hyping up kamoko Ture and 
you know, the Rutgers B right is just like, I, I don't get it. Like, why does everybody love this guy? Like, doesn't the film count for anything? And it's like, you know, just one of the guys that, you know, obviously he's, he's followed Kimoko for the past five years and, you know, basically said never saw an NFL talent there. Why is he getting all this accolades? And, you know, I put my two cents in and then, you know, Lance said, you know, with, with that kind of bend and that size and that athleticism, no way he escapes day two. And I agree with him. It just, I wouldn't be the team that invests a top 100 pick on him. But, um, you know, some other guys, you know, Josh, Josh Sweat from Florida State. I mean, this guy was the guy coming out of high school. I mean, uh, talk about, you know, a stud that walked onto campus. I think he's a guy that could, you know, go on and, and develop into a pass rusher, Marquise Haynes, the forgotten man at Ole Miss. I oh, I love this guy him. has 32 career sacks. I mean, the production is there. Uh, how will teams use him? You know, some concerns about his size. And, uh, you know, from a 43 standpoint, and I'll go back to you for day two, day three values, Justin, one more guy out there out there, Ade Aruna from Tulane, uh, this guy hasn't. I mean, He's not there yet, but he's he's almost like a JPP coming out. Not not as quite as much of a freak and not as quite as developed yet, but similar traits, similar size, similar athleticism. This Ade Aruna from Tulane, uh, definitely remember that name. But uh, yeah. where are you going to go, Justin, for some day two, day three talent? I like Chad Thomas out of Miami. Um he, so when you when I saw him at the combine, I'm like, you know, he's got a dad bod. It, it's terrible, but for some somehow on tape, he's pretty explosive. I mean, he can bend, he can get upfield, and he can kind of he really gets the offensive tackles retreating. He's a little raw in his pass rush plan. I don't think he really leverages the edge too well yet. But if you're looking for a guy that can get off the ball and really has that fluidity and can actually not only you know attempt a counter move, but you see, that's, and that's another thing, too, is when we look at these guys and we say they don't have a counter move, a lot of times they don't have the agility or the simple athleticism to accomplish one or even attempt one. But he's one of those guys that he has the agility and the reaction to athleticism to kind of cut back inside, and he doesn't lose balance. He still can stay on his path. So um, Chad Thomas, another one of these raw guys that, you know, could outperform maybe some of the upper-tier guys. But I, I really like him from a trait standpoint. I like the athleticism that he showed on tape. Um, Davin Bellamy from Georgia played, you know, on the other side of Lorenzo Carter. Nothing stands out on tape, nothing crazy. But he's got length. He's got a little bit of get off. And I think that, you know, if you're looking for a situational sub-package rusher that can come in and kind of fill, just fill that role of, hey, he's a guy on the field and he has a, a pedigree of playing high – you know, highly ranked offensive tackles. He played in the SEC. He's played skilled guys. He knows the speed of the game. He knows what it takes. That's one of the dudes that, you know, I might take a flyer on and just stash on my or stash on my roster and say, let's see what he can do in camp. But he's been there. He's done it. He knows what he's doing. Um, you know, the NFL is not going to be too much for him. Marcel Frazier from Missouri somehow didn't get invited to the combine. Um, he's got a great pro day, by the way. Oh, good to hear. Great good to hear. I mean, and he, he's another dude with an explosive first step. Um, and he's not a, a crazy super athlete, but he's relentless. 
Um, and I don't think he's a bad athlete, but he's relentless, uh, just like they teach those Missouri guys. I mean, they never stop. Those dudes are running all over the field, contributing on run plays, pass plays. It doesn't matter what it is. Marcel Frazier was someone on tape that I thought, you know, I every single play I would pause it and say, wow, this dude's getting off the ball before everyone else. And he can really, really get offensive tackles retreating with that speed rush. So, you know, another guy, if you're looking for a situational rusher, Marcel Frazier just fits that mold of explosive Missouri guys coming out. And he's someone I would 100% take round four or five. You know, Joe, you, you let off this segment by saying, you know, this ain't, you know, don't get it twisted. This ain't really a terrible pass rushing class. And the more I listen to you gentlemen talk about it, I mean, there are some uh, some values here on day two and day three. No, but no question about it. I mean, uh, I, you took one right out of my pocket, Nade Aruna, that member of the all underrated team, by the way, uh, that length he's got, the range, and the, the test results showed up. I mean, that's when guy finally where we had highly ranked and it's like the, the test results kind of matched. Whereas, you know, I'm listening to you guys talk about low Carter and Kamoko to and, and Josh sweat. And I'm thinking all three of these guys, like with Carter, does the tape match those awesome test results? Not really. Kamoko to did that senior bowl week match the whole career tape now? And, and what I mean, Josh sweat, great workout, but, Throughout his career, like that's def I think that's the definition of hot and cold. Like he he had moments, but it's just it was never consistent. Granted, he had an injury early, but there's it's just that there's talent. It's just so many question marks involved with this class. I think is the recurrent theme, but uh, it's deep. And uh, I, I think another two I would add to this mix. Uh, talk to the another guy I talked to a senior, Kylie Fitz, Utah. He may be more of a tweener. But I don't care, man. That guy gets downfield in a hurry. He's a great pass rusher. I don't think he's all three downs. Um, he's he might be situational to start out, and he's probably going to be stand-up linebacker. But that he can just flat out play. Uh, you know what he can do. And I think you guys brought up uh, Marquise Haynes. Clearly, the forget. Just look at the numbers and the production in the SEC. That should be enough to just solidify a draft stock. And oh, by the way, he tests extremely well. So I think yeah, Haynes is a guy. Like I don't know why he's under the radar. It's almost just frustrating. And the, the, another guy. I don't know if he's day two. Probably more day three. But I got to get his name out there because Warren Central High School in Indianapolis has to represent. Anthony Winbush, Ball State, uh, another guy, I think, stand-up pass rusher. He's only 6'1", 249, so going to have to make that transition. Will he be as explosive out of the two-point? We'll see. But a, a TFL machine, great first step, super quick hands. And we talk about motors. That motor runs hot consistently. I think uh, Winbush, another guy, probably a situational pass rusher, but – uh, he's really turned heads. I think a really great senior season in Muncie. So, yeah, I think probably day three, but he's worked himself into getting drafted. And a guy like if, if I'm a 34 team looking to fill out that outside linebacking core, I'm I'm definitely taking a chance on Winbush day three. Yeah, hey, listen, he's got great film. I'm not sure if he has a position at the next level or not, but, yeah, that's where he's going to get his first crack in that pass rushing specialist, 20 sacks over the past two seasons, uh, five forced fumbles this past year, so definitely delivering the boom. 
Uh, as does my man, you know, Darius Jackson from Jacksonville State. I mean, this is a guy I want to put on your radar because, I mean, talk about the quick get-off, the first-step explosion. Uh, this guy, I think, could really surprise at the next level. And uh, Javon Roland jones from Arkansas State, just another guy who you should be aware of, played defensive end. We'll have to try to convert over to outside linebacker. Deshaun Downey from UMass. I mean, this guy has absolutely zero hype around him. No all-star invite, no combine invite. Uh, Not quite sure why he doesn't get any more media love, but, hey, the media, they just talk about quarterbacks. You know, NFL Network, I watched three or four different shows between three, four hours of of, – three or four different programs, <laughs> we're still talking about quarterbacks somehow. So I, I do understand why guys like Sean Downey don't get any media love. But that's why you tune into the NFL Draft Bible podcast. We've got you covered upside down and inside out. Going to find what it's all about. Uh, RIC and a place to be, Rick Saratella, telling it like it is here. You guys there, along with Joe Ever, Justin Gamble, and uh, – you know, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. we probably got about three or four more shows. We'll come back with a linebacker preview. We'll do a defensive back show, and then we'll do uh, – we'll talk to Joe and Justin. Maybe we could do some kind of two-hour draft preview special. But uh, before we get there, uh, we'll be back next week with the linebackers. And with that being said, gentlemen, uh, parting shots, and we'll wrap this bad boy up and put a ribbon on it. Uh, Joe, what do you got for the bow tie? Uh, well, just be prepared for some Tremaine Edmonds hate coming up next week. Uh, somebody's Whoa, not a big fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting my haters <laughs> okay. on early. Hey, there's a reason enough to tune in already. Uh, what do you got, Justin? Dear Lord, Joe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you guys are just giving me an hour to talk about my, my boy Rashawn Evans, so be prepared for that. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Roquan Smith. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the things, my concerns with him. And I know for some reason on Twitter lately that's been absolute blasphemy. But it's going to come out, and I'm going to talk about it while Joe talks about Trey Man Edmonds. So I feel like we're going to get a lot of hate tweets and hate mail after this next show, but I'm kind of excited about it because the <laughs> linebackers are a polarizing group, man. I think this is the most exciting position in the draft. And you already heard the indecisiveness between uh, amongst our co-hosts, uh, Rashawn Evans, Tremaine Edmonds, Roquan Smith. You know, I'm not sure NFL talent evaluators have figured it out. Who's the top linebacker prospect? Dare I throw Leighton Vander Esch into the equation? The one-year wonder Ooh. from Boise oh, State. Yeah. We'll talk about all that and more next week. So for another edition of the NFL Draft Bible Podcast, we appreciate you tuning in. Again, you can always subscribe, like, follow, and share on iTunes Radio, Blog Talk, and NFLDraftBible.com. In the meantime, keep it locked to NFL Draft Bible on the Twitterverse. Do a good job of keeping you updated there with everything draft-related. Until the next time, everybody, we'll see you later. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.